people will come up to one of the pastors and say, look, we like what you guys do, but we would like to hear from real people. <laughs> Me being the synthetic one that I am. Um, so we have granted that wish. We're going to hear a story of transformation from the South family. Uh, and I think you're going like, to like what you hear. Are you set? Do we have levels and stuff? Uh, yeah, levels right. are good. Can we start from the beginning? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So tell everyone your names. I'm Aaron Self. I'm Kristen Self. And about how long have you been here at Community? 15, just over 15 years now. So we've uh, we've done some youth ministry a year with our, with our kids, our oldest. <laughs> I'm involved in the special needs ministry. Yeah, our marriage was, uh, it, it started young and with not a lot. So, you know, money was always an issue, you know, so there was a lot of fighting. Every once in a while, you know, we always seem to recover and keep going. And I just remember that one day I was doing laundry, going down in the basement, you know, it's just kind of weird how that goes. Lowest level of the, how our marriage was, lowest it could be. And I just sat on the, floor and I was like I need something I need something I looked up to the just to the next level and just was like okay Lord something's got to give here I guess we got to bring you back into our marriage because we thought we could do it I thought we could do it by ourselves you know and then Aaron came home one day from work and he goes we need to talk and I honestly thought this was the end, but it was actually the best thing that could have happened to our family. Yeah, we had been here not quite a year, and I was invited to the uh, men's mission trip to uh, Mexico. On that trip, I uh, I met uh, Rob Muson. He uh, he talked me into applying, you know, talking to him about what he does and stuff. And so I applied at Zealand Farm Service, and you know. There, it's you know, it's been 15 years there. Uh, we've done really well, and not to the point where I'm now a contractor for them. I bought a truck and I work up, I work for them. Realizing all this, I was like, Whoa, he listened, or something, you know. <laughs> you, you prayed, and yes, God yes, within just a few months. I mean, it was just a few months. Yeah. Now, from then on, I have Bible verses in my house that are like wall words and they are not just words anymore. They actually, they're, they're all here in my heart and they mean something, yeah. you know? And I just want my kids to know those words too, that they aren't just words. They really, they change, they, change. they, they change things. yeah, that whole book changes things. <laughs> the relationships. So describe your life and your marriage since things changed. We like each other. <laughs> Is that it? No. No. It, no. Um, it's definitely a happier place. Yes. I mean, we, we goof like around, we, we laugh, we yeah. joke, we poke fun at each other and... We would not have this. We would not have this relationship. You know, I'm not gonna still say it's all roses and... <laughs> <laughs> Unicorns. It ain't perfect, but... 
Is there any particular event, any particular moment that you, I mean, other than what you've already described, that you would say was a moment when you knew things had changed? When the first paycheck came in and it went into the count, and I was like, oh, we can do this. So you guys are a walk and talk and testimony that God <laughs> is good. He is, he is. You know, you just gotta lean on him. And when you do the marriage, you gotta think of the triangle. You can't have a triangle without him. Did they not decide not to come this morning because they didn't want to see themselves on the screen? They're on vacation? Okay. <laughs> they are the proudest grandparent. I'm a pretty proud grandparent, but they, the Souths are about as proud a grandparent as I've ever seen. Um, so uh, we're, in, we're in this series on transformation uh, and the core values, and transformation is the one today. And there's a lot of scripture reading today. I will go relatively quick in the first story because I think most of you are familiar with it. Uh, but we're, we're, there's, there's a lot, and I know sometimes it's hard to track with someone else when they're reading. It will be up there, but I want you to hear the details of, of this interaction between Jesus and a woman he met at a place that Jesus had to go but shouldn't have gone because no Jew went through Samaria on purpose ever. So let's pray together. We'll read the, the, the core value and then we'll look at John chapter four. Lord, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna remind people or at least announce to people and I forgot to do it, but Lord, we pray for our, our friend and, and, a, and a pastor, a colleague, Steve Smalligan, who never smoked, but just was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in the fluid of his lungs. Lord, I know he's, he's 18 months away from retirement, and this was not part of the plan. How he's handled it so far, how he and Brenda are incorporating it into their lives, I'm just so proud to call him friend. We ask, Lord, for complete and utter healing in Jesus' name. And if you have other plans for him, we pray that you give them he and Brenda, the strength to walk the road marked out for them. And Lord, as we prepare to hear you speak to us, not me speak to them, we ask that you give us the ears to hear it, the eyes to see it, and the heart to receive it. Because this is your living word. It still accomplishes that which you send it to do. It will not return to you void. So Lord, as we speak about what it means that you are in the present and ongoing state of having been transforming us. We pray that we join you and cooperate with you in that transformation in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So these core values are all written as if, so if you, if I left my, the list of core values on a coffee table somewhere, or at a coffee shop, or at V's, or at Vitalis or somewhere like that, and you happen to come by before the table was cleared, and you picked it up, it's written if you're not churched, it's written so that you know how we see you. And this, this uh, transformation core value is that we believe that no matter who you are or what you've done, you need God. We also believe that deep in your soul, you want God. When God gets a hold of any of us, our lives change, sometimes dramatically, sometimes subtly. But no matter how God has grabbed us, we are usable by God to do powerful things and amazing things. 
And I want to share with you a story from the scripture that is unthinkable in our world today. So it says in John chapter 4, it says this, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, between Judea and Galilee, there's this, this road that everybody traveled, every Jewish person traveled, because to go the other way was to go through Samaria. And you may or may not remember this, but Samaritans were considered to be, I'm going to use the word that they used, the, 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 the Hebrew word for it. I won't use the Hebrew word, but they called them half-breeds. They weren't just children of Abraham, and they weren't just what we are. Most of us are the goyim, uh, the Gentiles. They were a combination thereof. So they were considered to be unclean, unfaithful, and they worshiped in the wrong place. And the worst of the worst of these people were Samaritan women. I won't tell you why, but they were always considered to be ceremonially, physically, and spiritually unclean. So the last person a Jewish rabbi should ever have a conversation with in close proximity and be seen one-on-one -on -one with was a, Jew, or was a Samaritan woman. Now, there's a lot of background there, but I'll just leave it at that. Now, he had, he had to go through Samaria, and he didn't, but he had a divine appointment. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so that means it's about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a, as if he doesn't know this, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would, have, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, she doesn't quite understand, nor do I think I would in that situation, really what he's saying. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with from, and the well is deep. Uh, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I gave him, or the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, they're obviously not talking about the water any longer that's in the well. I've been there, by the way, to this well, and it is about 50 feet down. It's down in kind of a cave, and it's another 50 feet down. Now, it might have been a little closer to the surface back then, but you have to drop a very, 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 very long rope down there to get water out of it. Jesus is talking about something different, and she's starting to clue in. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to, have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, I'm going to pause right there um, because I know that many of you are aware of this story and aware of this woman. Um, and there are a couple of different philosophies. There's been, a, there's been a move in the last, say, 20 years to kind of recover this woman's um, reputation. And I get that, I do. Um, but if you hear what Jesus says to her in a moment, um, the interaction he has with her about her life, um, and the fact that she's at the well at noon tells us something. So I'm just going to give you a heads up. 
women had to travel it's a, it, probably a mile or two um, from Sychar, at least modern-day Sychar, to this well to get water. And they had to carry enough water for the entire day for their whole family. So they would come early in the morning because it's, it's the cool of the day. They would be there just after sunup. They would all walk together. There's a lot of social stuff. Think of a knitting circle or something like that or a walking group or a... Um, I don't know, a, a bridge club where people, women get together and they talk. They walk and they talk together. Um, they all come as a group and it's for protection. Predators, both human and otherwise, the large numbers help create safety. Now, there's something peculiar about the fact that this woman comes alone in the heat of the day. We're going to find out about that in a minute, but let's just put it this way so that you hear what Jesus says to her in a moment with, with, some, with some lenses on. She is the woman in Sychar that other women don't want to be around, and they certainly don't want her around their husbands. He told her, go call your husband. Come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the worshipers, when true worship, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now, the story goes on. The disciples show up. This woman leaves everything at the well to run into town. His disciples show up and see him talking to a woman. They're a little bit curious, a little bit, and then they think he must be hungry because he was tired from the journey, and they try to give him something to eat. There's a little interaction there. Jesus has some things to say, but then here's what we see happens as a result of this woman's newfound, transformed life. She now has a ministry. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, the woman that no woman wanted their husband anywhere near, the woman that no woman, the group of women did not want to be around or be in relationship with. Suddenly, she has authority and a testimony to share. This is what she told them. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to this woman, or they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now just imagine for a moment that you know someone like her. Or you've known someone like her. 
whether it be a man or a woman, I know one of my brothers, I won't say which one, was a womanizer and a drunkard and ended up in jail a couple of times. And I know that he, after he had his heart broken by two different women, he called me and he said, I need to, we need to talk. And I said, dude, you know what I'm going to, you know what I'm coming with. You know what I'm going to talk about. He goes, I know I need to hear it. So we played golf that day and I shared the gospel with him and he'd heard it before, but he couldn't hear it from me before because to be honest, my life wasn't all that transformed. So I didn't really look like, I didn't behave like I really believed what I was telling him. And he goes, I got to have some time to think on it. And that night in the middle of the night, about 2, 2 2.15 in the morning, he woke up punching himself in the face. It's a weird testimony. The day before, he had been screaming in anger at my dad on the phone, and my dad had some of that coming back then. But my brother woke up punching himself in the face and realized, it's probably time. And he gave his life to the Lord, and the next day, he was a different man. He, the next day, he called my father and said, I have been angry and prideful, please forgive me. This man who had been in jail two or three weeks before because he drank so much that he hit a parked car, there was a woman next to him in the car, a young lady that he was bringing home. He was so drunk that he, after he hit the car, he, he passed out. He, he, and, and a cop came to tell him to pull him out and to tell him, you, you were driving this car. You're obviously inebriated. You, you had an accident. He denied it, and he tried to punch the cop. Just a few weeks later, might have been months, memory serves, but he calls his father and says, I've been angry and prideful, please forgive me. I've known someone who used to be like this woman was when Jesus had an interaction. I, in some ways, was like this woman. So I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that the, that the gospel of Jesus Christ And the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to forgive someone like her, her sin, in such a way and to such an extent that she could preach the gospel to you and you would receive it. Because that is what the scripture says happens to people. We look around the world and we go, seems like people don't believe in transformation anymore. They want to get rid of sin. They want to get rid of God. They want to get rid of, get rid of, get rid of. And I I just want to be able to make my own decisions. I want to be God of my own life. And I understand that particular temptation because that has been the temptation of of everyone back to Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of the very beginning of the story of God interacting with his people. But I will remind you of one thing. And I learned this from, she called it out. I just thought it was beautiful from, from our seminary intern, Allison when she preached a couple of weeks ago in Breakwater. After the fall, after Adam and Eve said, not your will, but mine be done, they, they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed and they covered themselves up. And when God came as he did, it's on a scheduled time to come to walk with them and talk with them and be in a loving relationship and knowing them and them knowing him, they hid. And the very first question in all of scripture was, where are you? God asks, where are you? So even in the fall, God is pursuing those he loves. 
this woman, will you give me a drink? It's just a question. But he had to go through Samaria because this woman was going to be the first evangelist recorded in the gospel according to John. And somehow, through these, this very short interaction, I'm sure there was more to it because she told her village, come meet the man that told me everything I ever did. And really what he, what, he, what he said is, yep, you're right. You don't have a husband right now. You've had five. And by the way, people back then used to live to between 38 and 45 years old. So by the time she's, let's say she's 45, there's been five men that she's been married to. It could have been that there was a plague and that all, she was widowed five times. But the man she's with right now, not her husband. So she's probably not living, in most people's eyes, a virtuous life. But Jesus wants to see who she is and who he wants her to be instead of who she is by judging her for who she was. We believe that no matter who you are or what you've done, you need God. We also believe that deep in your soul, you want God. When God gets a hold of any of us, our lives will change, sometimes dramatically, this woman, sometimes subtly. But no matter how God has grabbed us, we are usable by God to do powerful and amazing things. Now, I doubt there's anyone in this room that disagrees with the fact that Jesus, through the person of Jesus Christ, through his life, his teaching, his miraculous works, his suffering, his death, his descension into hell, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to the Father, very few of us would doubt that he actually has the power to transform lives. But there's a way as Christians that we can participate in that transformation You've heard me say this before, there's this word, this big theological word we call sanctification. And sometimes we think we're solely responsible for our own sanctification. Sanctification is Jesus loves you just the way you are. He refuses to leave you that way. The process by which he refuses to leave you that way, we call sanctification. So as Christians, we're supposed to be not only transformed, but always being transforming. So I ask you, do you know the evidence of transformation? Are you aware of what a Christian life looks like? We do know some of them. The, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it's, it, it doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth, always trusts, always protects, always hopes, love never fails, always perseveres, love never fails. We, we understand, okay, yeah, if we just love, if we just love, if we just love, but m- almost all of those things have to do with how we behave not how we feel. And then the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and on, we get that. But it's not the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit. So all of those things should be being developed. But how do we really see that in our own life when we interact with people and, 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 and institutions and, 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 and the culture as a whole? Well, there's a great example of that in Romans chapter 12. And I'll, I, the, first, the first verse in this, uh, the first three verses in this chapter won't be up on the screen, but the fleshing out of it will. So this is what, this is what uh, Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what does it look like? What is the evidence in our lives of us having been or are in the process of having been transformed? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and following. 
This is what he says to believers. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, I want to comment on that one just for a second. We don't get to define what evil is. Because I promise you that the evil one, if you go to him, you don't necessarily know you're going to him, but if you go to the evil one, the deceiver, the father of all lies, the Lord of the flies, and you ask him what evil is, he will lie to you every time. The only way to know what's evil is what God says is evil. We don't get to decide that this is evil and that isn't. God decides that that is evil and this isn't. It's evil or holy. There's the doctrine of demons and the doctrine of God. So he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Here's the one we don't like. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. How are we doing on that one? Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's the way of the world. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for, the, for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'm going to comment on that in just a second. And then here where it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The tense there is stop being in the process of being overcome. How are we doing? Are you like me? Sometimes like a, a tiny little boat that a kid made out on Lake Michigan when the wind's blowing? And whatever wave comes up, it makes you mad, it makes you frustrated, and you look at the world, and you look at the politics, you look at the whole body politic, you look at the culture, you look at, you, look at, you look at what has happened in Israel, you look at what's been going on in Ukraine, you look at what might happen between China and Taiwan, and you just get zzzz. That is not for the people of God. And I'm ashamed to admit that I get caught up in it. Because the currency of the day is fear and the judging the other side. That is how we know we're successful. That is how we know we've served our fellow man with our people. We, 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 we say the right things and we're angry about the right things and we're angry at the right people. And on the other side, it's the same thing the other way. And yes, the scriptures tell us that Jesus came and he's gonna divide brother from brother, father from son and daughter from mother. But that's what the culture is doing. I want to I share with you something you may or may not know. It says, 
If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap hot coals upon it, burning coals upon his head. I always love this because it's like, yeah, kill him with kindness. <clears throat> hot coals. On, I mean, because that picture, hot coals on my head. Ouch. But you know that people, when they, when they were on long journeys and they walked or they were with camels, they would build a fire and they had these little like turbans, things on their head. And there was this, this little nest in there. And one of the things they would do when they got up in the morning and they put out their fire, they'd take some hot coals and they'd, they'd pack it in that little nest so that when they went and traveled the day, they have ready-made fire when they get there. That's what he's saying. He's saying when you return evil with kindness, when you feed the one who's hungry that is your enemy, when you, when you clothe the one who's naked who is your enemy or who, who sees you as theirs, and, you, and you're kind to them, you're giving them a blessing that will last beyond the moment. Will there be vengeance? Will the wrath of God come? Will there be pun people punished? Oh, yeah. Should I be rooting for that? I shouldn't. I do sometimes. But I shouldn't. I think if you read Romans chapter 12, especially 9 and following, that you have to come to the conclusion that the world needs something different and we're it. If every time we're supposed to get mad at the new thing, I mean, I want to get a shirt that says, I'm angry at whatever the new thing is. And I'm for whatever the new thing is. I'm not on social media, so that's the only thing I got. But that's sarcasm and poking the bear and trying to let people know I'm not in on this and this and this. That, that's not a earning the right to be heard. That's not a looking for an opportunity to show the love of Christ by how I speak, how I behave. But you know what would be? We're, I don't know if you know this, but we're going into an election year. I'm sure you've just not crossed your mind. You haven't seen any of this. What if we were unshakable? What if we were unafraid? What if we were confident and calm and clear? What if we love our political enemies? What if we love the person who's angry at their political enemies? What if we pray for those who we believe are trying to take away our rights and persecute us? You heard Ben a moment ago talk about transformation. He didn't know this was our topic. He talked about a young lady who was a pastor's daughter who got involved in all the stuff you do not want your kid involved with, but then was willing to make a move from one state to another so she could be in the presence of other believers who are calm, who are content in who Christ is and whose they are, and who are doing their best to love him. Another man, this young man who was addicted to porn, and he sought out Jesus, and he was transformed. Folks, that is what we have to offer the world. That is what you have to offer your neighbor. And we can do it by being unshakable. How many times does the scripture say, fear not, do not be afraid, or ask the question, why are you afraid? 365 times in English, one for every day of the year. And we don't always see ourselves as afraid, but anger at circumstances 
with, with which, of which we have no control is fear that those circumstances are going to come to pass and it's not going to be what we want. So we get angry and we protest. Look, folks, vote. Be involved. Be concerned about where our culture is going. But when you interact with individuals or when you hear the, the package deal that you see on the television or on YouTube or whatever else, however you get your information, when you see that coming at you, it is packaged to get you to keep watching. It is not necessarily packaged to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. They don't know what evil is. He does. And what he does not want is for his people to participate in the evil that is the way of the world. He wants us to cling to what is good. He wants us to not be overcome, but to be transformed in his name, for his sake, and by his work. We give glory to God, come what may, culturally, politically, wars, we give glory to God. Last question, have you ever seen or known someone who suffered, who was a believer, who suffered well? Was that not a testament to their faith? I don't know if we're going to have to suffer for our faith or not, but I do know it's uncomfortable right now. And the testimony of our faith to endure well, to be patient in affliction, and to always be looking for the opportunity to remind God's people who may not yet know that they're God's people that God is good and that he overcomes the world. So be transformed, not overcome, as far as it depends on you. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. And I confess that it's just, I can get sucked in. My wife will look at me sometimes when I'm talking to the television. Lord, forgive me. And help me be confident in you. Nothing that happens in this world is a surprise to you. You knew before Hamas sent those rockets into Israel that it was going to happen. You know what the end of the Ukraine war will be. You know what's going to happen with Taiwan and China. You know what's going to happen with Serbia. You know what's going to happen with Egypt. You know all of those things, and you know what's going to happen next door. Lord, we have no control of what happens next, but we know the one who does. So give us an extra measure of faith, a sense of calm assurance, and a hunger and a thirst for the peace that you and you alone offer in a chaotic world. In Jesus' name, amen.